0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at slash agony. I'm speaking with Jeremy Lassen. He's the editor of Nightshade Books. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy.
1: Great talking with you, Rick.
0: Uh, Jeremy, uh, what I wanted to ask you about today was where are you, as an independent publisher, and where you think the independent press stands uh, with regards to eBooks, especially you know Kindle editions of your books. You guys have lots of wonderful first editions out there and texts that nobody else has. Uh, will it be possible for us to ever get them as eBooks?
1: Well, absolutely. We already partner with one um, distributor um, for a number of our titles that we have eBook rights on. We partner up with uh, Bain, um, Bain's Bane's um, Webscriptions e-book library, mm-hmm. and so they sell about um, 20, 25 of our titles so far. And basically, it's a matter of, in general, I think, you know, publishers, independent publishers, they have to get their core business right first. Mm-hmm. And for us, one reason why we're a bit lagging. Um, is because we had that recent road bump where we had way too many titles that hadn't come out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it is on our plans to um, incorporate ebooks into our you know product mix, as it were, because I mean, I've for a long time seen ebooks as a natural successor to mass market paperbacks.
0: Mm, I that's think, an interesting perception.
1: I think the category of mass market paperbacks is the disposable, cheap, not long term, you know, it's the books that people pick up at the airports. And, you know, I just think that for a long time now, the distribution mechanism for mass-market paperbacks has been horribly inefficient. I mean, traditionally, mass-market paperbacks weren't sold on bookstore shelves. They were stolen, sold on newsstands alongside magazines. And all of those distribution outlets and outlets where you used to pick up mass-market paperbacks aren't there anymore. And now mass-market paperbacks are sold off the bookstore shelf alongside trade paperbacks and hardcovers so that that specialized reach that mass markets used to have that gave them a, an advantage that gave them a wider reach you know just doesn't exist anymore in the modern distribution system and you know they're still they sell better you know in the bestseller category but you know and frankly I just started publishing mass markets myself in the last couple years but the days of Mid-list mass-market paperbacks selling 200, 300, 400,000 copies are are long gone. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with that they're no longer front and center in the cultural mix.
0: And well, also, they're off of the uh, drugstore shelves, off the grocery store shelves. I mean, my local grocery store has maybe about 30 total, and they're all just, you know, your basic bestseller, that's it.
1: Right. You used to see an entire aisle next to the magazines would be a huge mm-hmm. rack of, of uh, paperbacks. You know, and there's a couple different factors. Like I said, distribution. Um, Another one, they've replaced most of that rack space with uh, DVDs. The advent of really, really cheap (laughs) discount home Mm -hmm. video, you know, has had a major impact on that rack space.
0: Boy, that's an interesting thought. Now, I never really uh, grokked that uh, the paperback space had been taken over by DVDs, but yeah, it makes sense. And it's a similar, you know, level of entertainment, shall we say. Right, right. Although I have to say there have been uh, more than a few, you know, uh first edition mass market paperbacks out there that that have been, you know, extremely extremely worthwhile. And this is, do you think that uh, the mass market paperback is a way for new authors to, to debut or do you see uh debuting new authors via ebooks?
1: I actually don't see currently don't see them debuting as Ebooks by themselves. Mm-hmm. Again, I see it part of a, a, a larger product mix. I don't think right now ebooks have the reach to replace mass markets. Mm-hmm. I think in a generation, you know, and kids like my brother who have grown up with, you know, a personal digital assistant or, you know, Nintendo DS or something, you know, in their pocket all their lives who already consume their media on these electronic devices. You know, I think it's a natural for them to, you know, consume books on a device like that. So, you know, I think it's going to happen. The The turnaround uh, is going to happen relatively quick quickly. Um, and so I definitely want my publishing company to be in a position where, you know, when the next generation is out there and consuming books digitally, you know, I want my company to have a big back catalog of digital, you know, electronic rights. Because so that was something that, you know, we had to we had to go back and we had to, you know, fight and pay extra money to get those rights in a lot of cases. And so it's been a conscious decision that this may not be a mature market right now, but it's it's going to be. And so, you know, we're working with that, that kind of vision in mind.
0: Now, tell me about, do you think uh, this idea of, you know, the new Chris Anderson book, Free, do you see uh, giving away... Books and, or say, for example, um, when somebody buys a, a limited edition hardcover, they get a key to get a PDF or some kind of electronic download.
1: Yeah, I think that um, both of those models have a lot of merit. Um, definitely, publishers like Bain have um, demonstrated that giving away free editions, you know, DRM-free and cost, you know, free cost-free editions of books. As promotional items, really, is it works? You know, they have the sales data to prove it, at least within the the subgenre science fiction. And I I think that you know I've had a little bit of success with that myself. We've we've released Nightshade has released several um free titles, um as electronic books. Um and they've worked worked really well as promotional devices. We've had Jay Lake's Trial of Flowers, um Liz Williams Snake Agent, uh and a couple others. Richard Cadbury's Butcher Bird, a couple others that we have released electronically. We've been very happy with the results. I mean, it certainly hasn't cannibalized any sales. And, you know, it's definitely got us coverage and got us readers that I don't think we would otherwise have.
0: I'm wondering, could you talk uh, uh, about um, just some of the the hardware aspects of this? I mean, you're running a a server up there at Nightshade serving your web server. Um, Do you think that... The, the added you know administration and systems administration and keeping all these you know uh, titles up there and keeping them linked correctly is that a is that kind of a headache for you how much of that stuff do you have to deal with as a publisher
1: well it's it's one of the reasons why I've partnered with Bain because well there's there's two different <clears throat> there's a couple different issues one uh, and that depends on the model of ebook publishing that you that you want my favorite model the model that I think is most value to, valuable to the customer is the bookshelf model, um, wherein it's like fiction-wise where if you buy the rights to a book, they keep your account on file and they keep all your titles. So if your computer crashes, if your e-reader crashes or whatever, you can download it again. Mm-hmm. It's not limited to one download and you're responsible for maintaining that download. And I think that that kind of you know, off-site backup, you know, if you want to view it that way, makes up for not having a permanent physical copy. You know, if you throw down your, you know, whatever it is, five, six, seven dollars, whatever it is, and you don't have anything permanent, and then you have to spend your time, effort, and energy, and money making backups of that, I see that as less valuable. I think a service like FictionWise provides a lot of service, and that service is something that me as a publisher, that would be a, a hassle for me to provide. You know, it's worth it for me to partner up with other people to provide that type of service. You know, Bain provides that type of service where, you know, you've bought in a title and you can log back in with your account, because it's the account management um, aspect mm-hmm. of it that becomes becomes sort of um, troubling. Right. And then cumbersome. you then you need a whole other level of of security and of backup. You know, when I'm giving away free eBooks. Um, or even you know semi restricted to you know somebody with the right promotional password or whatever it's really easy that's just part of my website and it's just another you know download it's another link it's another file so you know ebooks is promotional items generating them generating the the files and stuff like that is really simple or not simple but it's a straightforward process um no more complicated than <laughs> creating a physical object so you know ultimately it depends on the type of thing you're trying to provide if I was you know I could add ebook downloads to my shopping cart software right now and sell them directly, but it wouldn't give me the type of experience that I want as a ebook consumer, so I'm hesitant to implement that you know but you know frankly, there' probably will be an off the shelf you know system or modules that are relatively straightforward to to implement so I, you know. I'm not precluding the option of selling ebooks directly off my site. I think, was it Tor.com just started selling ebooks off of their um, science fiction portal site? Um, and they started selling hard copies as well. So it's, it's interesting seeing how, you know, I think portal sites, themed portal sites like Tor.com, WebScriptions, you know, where they, they focus on a specific genre, uh, bring a lot of value to the marketplace.
0: Well, um, I didn't know that Tor was selling <clears throat> uh, hard copy. Do they? Do you get a better deal on terms of price, or is it pretty much the same plus shipping?
1: It's pretty much the same plus shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, and Tor also sells some I mean, It's interesting. Tor also sells um, their their titles off of some of their titles off of um, subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So, I know they've been moving very aggressively trying to get an ebook solution in place. Um, you know, and when Nightshade sells our titles, um, we've worked closely with Bain to kind of follow their pricing model. So you know, our books are are cheaper than you know the equivalent mass market paperback, and you know, I think four ninety nine is our average price or something like that. And that's even for titles that are only available in hardcover. So you know, I think the lower price point is, like I said, it re- it's a replacement for the mass market, and so it should be priced priced accordingly.
0: Um one of the names you mentioned uh back there caught my ear that was Jay Lake you have a new uh a book by him coming out called Trial by Flowers he's got a new book out too called Green and I think these two books are really going to help you know cement his his place in the fantasy python and uh pantheon and it's not fantasy as as anybody would normally expect it to be is it
1: No no I mean and Jay is a remarkably diverse writer when it comes to his style and the types of things that he writes um, you know he kind of wrote a steampunk clockwork universe um, series that was published by Tor Mainspring mm-hmm. um, and Escapement um, the first book that he published with us was Trial of Flowers and that came out about three years ago um, and we subsequently released it on uh, ebook. Uh, we have a follow-up it's, it's not a direct sequel but it's set in the same world called uh, Madness of Flowers and it's that title is very much and both of those titles are very much in the the vein of a kind of Baroque, you know, fantasy with an aging decaying city. You know, I don't want to say it's a, you know, China medieval knockoff, but they were there was a there was a time when a lot of writers were writing that kind of overtly Baroque fantasy novel, um, The Etch City by K J Bishop comes to mind mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of a Steph Swanson
0: a generation of writers influenced not by J.R. Tolkien but Mervyn Peake.
1: Exactly,
0: exactly. Um
1: and this this series just it was based on a short story or the setting was a, originated in a short story that um that Nightshade published in uh, Leviathan 4 um edited by Jeff Andermere. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially about a a uh, an an empire at the end of its empire. It used to be a large sprawling empire and now it's just a you know, a large city-state, you know, that's the center of commerce, but is ultimately politically ineffectual, and it's kind of built upon layers and layers. Um, and in Trial of Flowers, the main character is a, is a con man who's trying to, you know, who a, is a kind of an ambulance-chasing attorney who is trying to con his way into, um, into government office. Um, and during a time when this city is under, you know, kind of a, a magical siege or a magical attack by forces unknown, and you know, hijinks ensue. And then Madness of Flowers picks up several years later um, after this character has been successful, and now he's burdened with the, you know, the weight of government and responsibility on his shoulders. And I just love these books. These two books in particular, I think, are Jay really stretching himself. Um, and I'm really eager to get madness of flowers out there scheduled for this october and um, the galleys just went out so
0: he he's uh, uh, attracting a lot of acclaim and I think these nightshade editions are going to prove to be uh, a valuable addition uh, a valuable addition to any library uh, any fantasy library and people like me are probably going to want to buy two you know one to read and one to just squirrel away <laughs> for <laughs> for the time when when all these things are are when the price of books has come back up again, the economy is wonderful, and we no longer live in a rotting city-state that's built upon (laughs) layers and layers of the past and is failing politically and economically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it seems like, you know, Jay wrote these books, you know, during the height of the Bush administration, and, um, you know, regardless of what it is or how the reflection happens, you know, most popular fiction is still a reflection of of the society and, of, you know, of the time period in which it's written. Um, and I think Jay's are, you know, they're wonderful books, but they're also, you know, like all good fiction, has many layers.
0: Uh, Jeremy, uh, there's a really sad event in the science fiction world yesterday.
1: Yeah, um, the editor and publisher of uh, Locust magazine um, passed away uh, the day before yesterday, and Charles Brown um, has always been, you know, this, this huge figure within science fiction, because of Locust Magazine and because of, you know, the kind of promotion he's done for the genre. But for me personally, it's, it's hit, you know, harder than I thought. Cause he's, you know, he was 72, and he knew it was, he knew it was eventually going to happen. But still, Charles has always been somebody who was very generous um, to me personally. Um, you know, one of the first jobs I interviewed for when I moved up to the Bay Area, I interviewed for, uh, you know, kind of a job working at Locust Magazine. Um, and something else came up and i ended up working someplace else but i remember talking with him you know and saying you know i was just starting out my publishing um and i remember telling him you know i want to do what you did i want to make a career out of publishing and publishing science fiction and i was just this cherry you know cherry cheek kid who you know dreams in my eyes and he was he was supportive he was like you know go go and do what you have to do and over the years, he was always very generous, both uh, personally and professionally. And I will always, you know, treasure, you know, the times where I got to, uh, you know, opine at him and, you know, at the same time, we'll listen to him. Because so he was always very generous when, it, you know, we came over and he have us over for dinner, you know, and he was a big Scotch fan. He had um, 30 different types of Scotch in his cupboard and, always very generous and insistent that we, um, we try as many different versions as we could. And um, he was just a giant and definitely will be missed.
0: Well he was hugely important in the science fiction world in many ways he and locust really carried the carried the weight of the entire genre on their shoulders i mean everybody who wanted who was anything was in locust and by, it was by virtue of the herculean efforts of Charles vanwitz. I met a, a few times at conventions. He was really a nice and a super generous guy
1: yes absolutely i mean he he had his reputation for being cranky, and that that wasn't wrong. And he also had his kind of, you know, vision of how things, you know, he thought, you know, science fiction or things should be. But he was always, you know, at the same time recognized that other other people had, you know, different views. And so I never found him to be, you know, um, mean or, you know, overbearing about his, you know, views. He just worked really hard to provide a, provide a venue, you know, where the genre he loved could be, you know, talked about in, you know, in a rigorous way in, in a consistent way. You know, his, you know, between the Locus Awards and his, his you know, years summaries in Locus and his ca- herculean efforts to catalog all the science fiction that is published, you know, the, the idea that he made a successful business plan, you know, for Locus magazine, and accomplished all the things for science fiction that he was trying to accomplish, you know, is just amazing.
0: And the the length of his career, you know, is is really stupendous too. I mean, Locus has been around a, a mainstay for quite quite some time. And as I say, it's really there's nothing like it in any other genre, really, for any other to, any other uh, kind of publication, is there? No, there's
1: not. And you know, I think that. Part of the origins, the you know, the fanish nature of science fiction. You know, *Locus* magazine started out as a, a fanzine, I guess, back in the late '60s, '68, um, '69, um, associated with a WorldCon bid, and you know, it was a fanish activity that he was doing, that he you know, parlayed into a professional activity, and you know, that type of. Infrastructure and support is unique to, uh, to science fiction. And speaking of Spanish activity, um, he was on his way back from ReaderCon um, when mm-hmm. he died. So, you know, one of the last things he did, he was at a convention. And that really just sums up Charles,
0: to my mind. And he'll, he'll be greatly missed. Absolutely. I've been speaking with Jeremy Lassen. He's the publisher of Nightshade Books. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. My pleasure.